0: Just go to Indeed.com/slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash Bluewire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: We're talking advanced wide receiver stats and Elijah Mitchell on Rotoviz Radio.
2: What's up, RotoViz?
1: Welcome to Rotoviz Radio. This is the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Show. I am Curtis Patrick, joined by Dave Cabin. We're two of the owners here at Rotoviz, and this is episode two for this week. And we're going to talk about some deep stats. Uh, always love um, checking in with Dave, trying to find these names that are popping um, in some of our leading indicator metrics. Um, we can be a little ahead of the ahead of the curve whether it's uh, you know maybe a waiver wire claim, trading a little early in Dynasty, um, or maybe just um, reevaluating a player that maybe is flying under the radar um, and looking into him a little bit deeper after the fact. So we're going to start this show breaking up some wide receivers, and then we're going to talk about a player who's proven to be, uh, be 2021's James Robinson. So um, Dave, what do you have for us on the wide receivers today?
2: We are talking wide receivers, Curtis, and I am excited about this because while I was doing research this week, I had no idea where it was going to lead me to what we we're going to talk about this episode, but I have stumbled upon somebody popping very often these metrics that anybody that goes in and takes a look at the advanced stats explorer right now and spends a little time looking at wide receivers will probably be surprised to see scoring so highly. So. I am going to read through some of these leaderboards right now, looking at the top 20 players in a variety of metrics. When I am done, I think it will be pretty clear. And you can tell me who this player is. And we can talk about uh, if this is something that would probably be as much of a shock for most of the more casual players out there, as I would imagine. So let's start with something simple. Routes uh, Routes per target. Uh, we're looking at weeks one through 11, as I do not have routes yet for everybody in week 12. So I wanted to make it kind of a uh, a fairer playing field here. Wide receivers with a minimum of 50 targets. So routes per target. Cooper Cup, Devonte Adams, Tyree Kill, AJ Brown, Deontay Johnson, Debo Samuel, Rondell Moore, Keenan Allen, Brandon Cooks, DK Metcalf, DJ Moore, Stefan Diggs. Hunter Renfro, Calvin Ridley, Terry McLaurin, Justin Jefferson, C.D. Lamb, Darnell Mooney, Marquise Brown. Uh, For a little context there, Cooper Cup is receiving a target about every 2.9 routes. Uh, Marquise Brown towards the end of that list is at 4.1. Players towards the middle of that group, you have DK Metcalf, Brandon Cooks at 3.7. All right, we'll move on here. Receptions per catchable passes. So, What percentage of passes that are deemed catchable are players actually converting into receptions? You have Tyler Lockett at 92%, Hunter Renfro at 92%, Rondale Moore, Chris Godwin, Christian Kirk, uh, Diggs, Tim Patrick, Cole Beasley, Adam Thielen, Brandon Cooks, Jalen Waddle, Tyree Kill, Michael Pittman, Devontae Adams, Nicole Hardman, uh, Tyler Boyd, Metcalf, Sanders, Cup, Marquise Brown. Those players are all at 87% or higher. Let's move on to yards per route run. You have Cooper Cup leading the charge uh, at 3.4, followed by Debo Samuel, Devontae Adams, Jamar Chase, Jefferson Lamb, Lockett, Metcalf, Brown, Hill, Diggs, Pittman, Brown, Johnson, Kirk, Rondell Moore, Keenan Allen, Terry McLaurin, Mike Williams, and Amari Cooper. I realize this isn't the greatest radio, but when we get to where we're going with this, <laughs> I think it will be uh. worth it. Okay. Okay. Uh, yards sure. after the catch per rec. Number one, Debo Samuel at 9.9. Rondell Moore at 8.1. Hardman at 8. Jamar Chase. Chris Godwin. Claypool. Chanal. Williams. Cooper Cup. Lamb. Johnson. Brown. Adams. Boyd. Moore. Jefferson. Justin Jefferson. Then Van Jefferson. DK Metcalf. Hunter Renfro. Robert Woods. Routes per touchdown. A lot of the same faces here. Cup. Metcalf. Evans. Chase. Thielen. Mike Williams, Hill, Lamb, Marquise Brown, Amari Cooper, Diggs, Samuel, Justin Jefferson, Elijah Moore, Corey Davis, Devonta Adams, Michael Pittman, Hunter Renfro, Christian Kirk, Terry McLaurin. And then you have evasion percentage, McCole Hardman, new name we haven't seen much of yet, Jamar Chase, Rondale Moore, LaVisca Chenault, Hunter Renfro, Debo. Tyreek, Lamb, Metcalf, Godwin, Corey Davis, Murray Cooper, Claypool, Deontay Johnson, Devontae Adams, Calvin Ridley, Mike Evans, Stefan Diggs, Cooper Cup, Marquise Brown. Now that I have said a, a bunch of names, Curtis, and I could have just listed off this player, his ranking in these, but I felt like it was important that I present the group of players that were seeing this name pop up consistently with in just about every one of those lists that I read. He only was missing from one. Do you know who the player that I was I, I wanted to highlight for this is?
1: Yeah, there, there's very little doubt in my mind that it's Hunter Renfro. Um, he he, there, he has nothing similar uh, he has nothing in common with any of the other players that you've you've read off other than um, his his efficiency. like the actual production. Um, as a specimen, he is not the same as a prospect. he was not the same. Um his his physical tools are not the same. It has to be Renfro.
2: Yes, it is Renfro. So I went back to myself as I was as I was looking at this. I said, was there a piece of this profile of him coming out of Clemson that I was missing in terms of the athletic profile? Not a great 40, decent in terms of his shuttle. Um his uh agility was overall pretty good. Not the strongest player, not the best leaper. Just not the most athletic. But we see him in this list with some of the absolute best players in the league. When you see him showing up at the, in these lists with guys like Debo Samuel Cooper Cup consistently, um, players like Mikkel Hardman that we know are super athletic, scoring touchdowns at a good clip, putting together significant yards after the catch. Um, with, the, with a really high evasion percentage, Curtis. Um, and, and the thing is, it's not just that we see him on some of these lists. It was how consistent he's getting in there where we see some of the best players like Devonte Adams across these lists. And yeah, we saw other players like Rondell Moore. That's exciting to see him on a couple of these. Same thing with Chanel, but I just don't think people would have expected this from Hunter Renfro. So we've talked about how when you see players hitting across metrics like these, after a while, you have to take notice. Is Hunter Renfro possibly a much better player than he's being given credit for?
1: It's probably harder to it's probably harder to construct an argument um the other direction honestly. I mean, you know another player that was on a couple of the lists that I think is a fair comparison from a fantasy production standpoint and um, from a standpoint that he wasn't really taken seriously until he was taken seriously yep. is Cole Beasley. Yep. Um, that's kind of how I see him. Yeah, um, I, I don't. I just don't know what else to say about it because I mean, he, I don't think Hunter Renfro is a player that's he's even if he finishes this season as a low end wide receiver too, which it looks like he's he's trending towards doing. He's not going to be drafted as a top twenty four wide receiver next yep. year. Um, probably never. Yeah, even if he's a perennial wide receiver, too, we even see uh, people who who did have some level of college pedigree uh, or college production profile or some level of athleticism. Um, they've struggled to have a redraft ADP um, bounce in years past. Like more impressive players, like Jarvis Landry, um, they, they still are always doubted because of the ceiling being so like target dependent. Um, and I think like Renfro is double penalized for being an an old prospect. Who's not athletic, um, who also took a while to pop in the NFL. Um, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, he's just not going to become valuable. He's not going to hold any dynasty value, but that doesn't mean he doesn't have any roster value. Um, he's definitely the type of player that it's great to have on your squad, plugging in to the flex, never going to inspire any fear in your opponent's. Um, When they're, you know, looking at your head to head against your squad um, in a given week, but just finding his way to 13, 14 points um, like clockwork. I mean, those players definitely hold a lot of value, especially in the deeper dynasty formats that have become popular in recent years. So I think this is a great type of player to be talking about. Um, And I think calling him the next Cole Beasley or the new Cole Beasley um, is perhaps very appropriate. Um, you know, another name that, that popped a little bit, and I, I don't know if we had planned on talking about this player, um, but maybe one that could accrue some value. Um, it could be more exciting moving forward. I don't think he was on every list, but he was on definitely like two thirds of them. yep it was Michael Pittman jr. Yes.
2: Yes. Yep.
1: Um, y- year two. And, and, you know, when, you know, I just even remember us cutting him up, Dave, in the prospect box score scout, you know, a couple years ago and, you know, Michael Thomas was a consistent sim um, that was coming back for him, both athletically from a production profile, even from a draft capital perspective uh, and, and having an opportunity to maybe not uh, immediately, but having a, a, a very low bar to clear to become a team alpha, despite not having the first round draft capital, um, et cetera. So you know, he really is turning into a little bit of that possession monster for the Colts and with their offense improving, scoring more touchdowns, um I actually think he is an interesting name that we can pull here who probably is not commanding that type of value but like making trades like Mike Evans for Michael Pittman Jr. you know that type of stuff um, th- those are the types of deals that you can be making this time of year po- potentially um in more novice dynasty leagues or or even players that are you know do you move um, Devontae Adams for Michael Pittman plus, yep. you know, knowing that Aaron Rodgers might be going away, uh, and that Adams is, you know, um, you know, really on the wrong side of the age apex. Like those are the types of things that I think these exercises are so great for. Cause it starts, you start to imagine like, what are the different combinations of moves I could make to get this player on my squad uh, that would make sense.
2: Yeah. Final note that I have on Renfro, and then I'll kind of talk about Pittman there for a second. Renfro is also ranks four. In racer, um, you know, which is another metric that's pretty telling generally something you want to look for. So I apologize to everybody for just reading through that, you know, laundry list of names there. But I think (laughs) I think it was important for highlighting the point. And I agree with you completely, Curtis, that what you're going to see likely with him is he's going to be a player in redraft that you're able to get at an ADP that he has a very good chance of outperforming. And in some drafts, you'll be able to get him maybe a round or two later. We'll have to see where things shake out in the confines of that Raiders offense with Henry Ruggs not now there long-term, you know, not going to be coming back anytime soon. I don't think anyone would imagine. It just, this has allowed him to entrench himself more in that offense. The point on Michael Pittman, I really like too, as, uh, you know, Carson Wentz this year has been somewhat functional as a quarterback streamer. We're seeing that manifest for Pittman, who's becoming, you know, the go to option there. It's nice to see him in these lists. And I think they're they make a nice combination of players that at this point, their their value might not match uh, or their perception of their value probably doesn't match where they are. So two interesting names. there. It looks like you had another thing to interject, though.
1: Yeah, um this is not yeah, this is a metric that we didn't mention for Hunter Infro. Um, but it's one that he is elite at, and it's the only one that really aligns with his um his athletic profile. I mean, he did he did profile um as an agile player, mm-hmm. um, at least as a top core top quartile um in the in the agility, um, in the agility physical metrics. And that is what's separating the, you know, that, or that's what's separating him from the pack and literally on the field. Um, and he averages 2.23 yards, uh, per target of separation. Um, and that's fourth best in the NFL among wide receivers. And so, um, if you, if you can get open, um, you're going to get targets, especially on a team, um, like the Raiders that is at least until, you know, a week ago and we saw Deshaun Jackson, um, inject some new energy into the offense as well until recently has had very little um, to get excited about, you know, Renfro being open, being dependable. And then when you have that much separation, it makes sense that you could then have a high evasion rate. You know, you're going to get a little bit of a head of steam before you, you know, take on that first defender, or maybe, you know, they, they touch you and you're, you know, running for a couple of steps before, you know, you can come, you know, you're going to get dragged down that type of thing. You're not constantly making contested catches. And so therefore you can, you can add something. Um, he he's just uh 80 84 wide receiver 84 contested catch rate um only 19 targets um contested so um yeah i, I mean he he's going to be drafted. um but you also want to be careful not to be like too cute and be the one guy that's overdrafting him because the team is probably going to invest a wide receiver next year um and you know he could easily become He could just as easily become Randall Cobb where his role just gets, you know, evaporated um, if enough talent is added to the, to the offense. So I got to be wary of these players, but um, 2021 definitely has proven to be value.
2: Yeah. And that's probably a a, a fair little uh, note to share there. A good reminder for everybody. Yeah. This is for as positively as I presented him, still not the type of player that you want to overdraft. I think that runs us down though, through the, uh, the wide receiver stuff. If you don't mind seeing as you're in the host seat for this, I'd like to push us now into talking about Elijah Mitchell.
1: Yeah. Hey Dave, let's talk about Elijah Mitchell. (laughs) Okay.
2: (laughs) (laughs) All right. So Curtis, you referred to Elijah Mitchell as this year's James Robinson. Oh, wow. Deep dive sound effect is coming back. Um, And that's because this guy may have gone away for a couple of weeks and came back. Look at that segue. Uh, Early on in the season, I think it was week one, it comes out and dominates. And then you have people spending a crazy amount of budget on him. But by and large, he really has justified that. I think that Mitchell is doing what people had hoped that Trey Sermon would do for their teams on the year. 143 rushes, 693 yards. That means he's averaging 4.8 a clip only has 3 rushing touchdowns, has not been used that much as a wide receiver but's converted 14 of the 15 targets aimed at him for 108 receiving yards. Um as i said week 1 good performance, 10.4 points, has picked things up from week 7 on uh 16.7 PPR, 19.7, 12.9, 9.1 followed up by 27.8 game um in week 12. Like I said, still only three touchdowns for him. So a lot of these numbers have come just from producing as a rusher, accruing yardage. He's actually eight in total yards. And keep in mind, this is a guy that has not played a full gamut of games this season. So that's pretty impressive. Sits in at uh, the RB21 in terms of PPR per game, 23 in expected points per game, 17 in fantasy points over expectation per game. So he has been pretty efficient. Now, this was a player, Curtis, that was drafted in the sixth round, 194 overall, has a speed score of 109, which was pretty impressive. Also, when you look at the athletic profile that he had coming out of college, 97th percentile, 40-yard dash, 78th percentile shuttle, 76th percentile cone, just 22 in the bench, but 93 in the broad, 83 in the vert. This is clearly... A very, very athletic player, went to a smaller school, but has really performed pretty well this year. So I guess where we head with this information is into a discussion about the Niners backfield, how this impacts Trey Sermon, who has been a pretty large bust uh, given the hopes for him heading into the year. And also you have Jeff Wilson in that backfield, a couple other names, but the thing that I worry about is, and it's kind of the same thing we talked about with Renfro, the feelings of a player when they enter the league, especially at that running back position where the team can only put one or two backs on the field. Most of the time, does this six round valuation hinder how we can think about him from a fantasy perspective? It'd be easy to be pretty excited about him rolling into next year. But I think that thought's always going to be in the back of people's minds, despite the solid athletic profile and the way that he's backed it up with his on-field performance.
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, it should, it should worry you, um, even at, like if, if he finishes the back half of the season, um, as an RB one, if he gets hot, I think the way to look at it is kind of how we viewed miles Gaskin coming into this season. Um, you know, he finished extremely hot in 2020. Um, extremely hot in 2020 Um, bonafide RB1 over the final like eight games of the season or something. And we still had questions. Um, We had questions throughout the draft process. Who would the dolphins add? Um, And then it was unclear in camp, you know, what was going to happen despite us thinking that it should be hands down Gaskin, Um, the coaching staff um, still experimented with Malcolm Brown and others. Um, And so, you know, I think that that's always going to be the question when, you know, the coaching staff wasn't willing to invest materially in the player Um, But then, you know, we see the other side, even in other situations, other positions, you know, going back to like the RG3 Kirk Cousins situation, um, you know, and I actually think Shanahan was um, with Washington uh, when all that was going down in some sort of capacity, uh, because I believe he was the engineer behind the RG3 um, offense if memory serves, it's been a long time getting old. (laughs) Um, but you know, the the team spent two picks, uh, the later draft pick proved to be, you know, the better one ultimately. And he ended up winning the job. I mean, that's not dissimilar from what we're talking about here. The team did trade up for Trey Sermon, but they didn't spend a fortune on either player. And they ultimately, if, if they had drafted Mitchell in the third, instead of sermon, you know, maybe you'd view the situation differently. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, Shanahan definitely is not one that's been married to, He's never been necessarily married to depth chart or draft capital before. But because of that, you, like for, for all the reasons that it makes it fun to invest from a zero RB perspective, it also creates equal danger because it's just always that uncertain backfield situation. Um, I did want to, from like an upside perspective, though, and just continuing to use some of our other tools. I mean, I love some of the names that you were bringing up there and mentioning the athleticism and the speed score, et cetera. So two ways to maybe think about Elijah Mitchell. I'll give you one small school example and one big school example. So from a small school example, um, highly athletic, smaller player, very dynamic. One comparison I would make for Elijah Mitchell is he's Jarek McKinnon with actual running back skills. Um, And then another one would be um, that he's Bryce Love without any major school pedigree. Um I, and actually his number one sim and the prospect box score scout is Bryce Love. Um now Bryce Love didn't pan out in the NFL and he had the unfortunate knee injury in school, but he was like going to be an all timer level prospect from a, a production profile perspective. The size was going to be the question. Um and I don't even think at his peak he may not have been as fast as Mitchell's four three eight in the forty. I mean Love was pretty fast before the injury. I don't know yeah. if he was that fast. Um and so. You know, when you start thinking about it that way, I mean, hey, we got excited about McKinnon just because of the pure athleticism. I mean, he never really actually did a whole lot. Like Mitchell's already done a lot. Like it would be awesome if McKinnon had ever done what Mitchell's already done. And how would we be thinking about that? Um, so yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I, I reserve the right, you know, to continue to evaluate the situation. Um, as you mentioned, I mean, I think going in, going all in, um, with the fab at the beginning of the year, that was absolutely the right call. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that a lot of people will listen to those recommendations because um, he's he's going to help win some fantasy championships, I think, um, or at least help some people get into playoffs that are in that middle of their league. Um, but in terms of dynasty, in terms of like 2022 best ball stuff, Hey, we just got to see how this plays out a little bit, but um, yeah, I, I I love that you highlighted him and he's going to be, he's going to be one of the players that we think about as we look back on 2021 you know, who were those players that kind of helped write the story of who won trophies and who didn't? And it, it seems to be shaping up that Elijah Mitchell is going to be one of those players.
2: Yeah, it certainly does. And I think you, you make a good point there that um, we're at a point in time where maybe it's still a little bit hard to talk about this with a full picture. Because if he really comes out and just crushes things down the stretch, that's going to give us a... Different lens, or just more information that we can use to make the decision. But I I will just comment on where my head is at right now with a guy like him. I think he's exciting, but I do think that if you're playing the probability game with players like Mitchell, I think you're probably better off being the person that keeps them in the back of your mind, keeps them in their back pocket, doesn't invest too heavily moving into the next season and then when something happens and this player ends up on another depth chart, uh, you know, a situation like that, that's when you make your move because it is a fickle position. It's a fickle league, um, uh, you know, and I think that you could easily, like you said, get burnt by a player like this, but we're going to have to come back and reevaluate this once uh, we have those final games under our belt this year.
1: Yeah, I think that's yeah, that's great counsel. And then I think the other, the one other practical application um, or exercise with with a player like Mitchell, um, for for the reasons that you stated, if you find Mitchell on your roster and Dynasty in particular, and you're not a serious competitor, um, the, the move here is to sell 100 times out of 100, um, just because. I mean, whether it's been Philip Lindsey, uh, even even Gaskin, Willie Parker. Um, Alfred Morris, all the different examples that you can think of players that, okay, when they get the opportunity again, they produce, but they're never guaranteed that opportunity. Um, it's just, you're like, this is the max value that you're going to get is for a player who's just coming off an insane workload and has a wide open runway heading into the, of the season. I mean, it's not outside the realm of possibility to get a playoff first um, from a team uh, that that is you know just lost Dalvin Cook or just lost Christian McCaffrey Um so playoff first in exchange for Mitchell like you just you just make that deal and you figure it out later uh because you're more likely to get uh you know a, a player to add to your squad that will have a lasting value in that situation so um you know we talked about investing next year we talked about you know just him as a player overall, but don't want to lose sight of the fact that, you know, have an opportunity to really get a nice return on, on whatever investment uh, you may have had in Mitchell.
2: Yeah, that's a great point. And um, if people are having trouble letting him off of their team, especially when we talk about him being this year's James Robinson, keep in mind the Jaguars. Now I know there's a change in the coaching staff there, but went right ahead and used their first round pick on another back. Right. So hey, that could, same same type of thing could happen uh, even in a team that already has some backs there. So maybe that will make it a little bit easier for you to let them off the team.
1: 100%. Well, Dave, I got to say, um, I like the players that you highlighted today. Um, they're, they're not the sexiest of players in terms of the, the college pedigree or the name value, but players like Renfro, players like Mitchell, we know they are so important um, to play correctly and to identify them early, and so it's just one opportunity here as we close today's show um, to highlight the great work being done every week by people like Sam Wallace uh, on our waiver wire, uh, by people like Travis May and our Devi team on 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 the workups that they do on these players as prospects before they come in the NFL. So it becomes easier for us to imagine what they would do if they got this type of workload. Um, and also just pointing back to the the great work done by Travis and our ownership team um, year in year out uh, on our rookie guide. And so I, I just want to create that buzz and that excitement. I mean, Mitchell's a player that was, his name was in that guide last year um, we didn't put every name of every drafted player, um, but he, he was a name in the guide. And so um, he may not have been drafted but because of that he should have been on your radar so uh yeah very excited um i thought this was a fire episode good on you for unearthing those two names we're gonna come back on Friday morning and answer some some potential go for it or not questions or uh start sick questions whatever it is that you're struggling with uh with your fantasy squad your lineup or maybe you just want a player take that uh, that you'd like us to dive into. Uh, we can dedicate a portion of the show to that. So make sure you at me uh, or Dave or both of us on Twitter, um, and we will try to insert your question into the show.
2: Thank you for listening to the roto Fantasy Football Show. Send us questions at rvffshow at gmail.com, Follow us on Twitter at DaveCabinFF and at CPatrickNFL. Leave us a voicemail at 978-615-9214 and make sure to rate, review, and subscribe.
3: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium?